Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Right on. Well, I'm so excited about what God wants to do in this moment, and um, I, I was processing and thinking about the, the wonder of Christmas. Like, what, what is Christmas all about, and why do we celebrate it, and why do we gather our friends and our family together? And really, if you, if you think about it, it's, it's moments that you get to have, that you carry with you, uh, moments of, of memory, moments with your loved ones, moments where you see each other opening Christmas presents, and you see the joy and the laughter on your family. It's like a season where people are a little bit more happy, joyful, or maybe not. Maybe there's those in our life or, or ourselves at times where we, we become like, uh, like Scrooge, like Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> my mom, um, for a couple of years, me and my brother, we would watch uh, a Christmas carol. And um, every year, you know, it's kind of scary as like a little boy. I was probably like six or seven. And we would get all ready. It was Christmas Eve. You know, we'd get our hot chocolate and she would put on this movie. And as I get older, I, I can understand now as I look back the story that the author, really, of the novel, A Christmas Carol, was trying to depict to us. You see, his name was uh, Charles Dickens. And Charles Dickens um, was a man who lived in London, and he was raised in deep, deep poverty. He created this story around Christmas that brought hope and, and brought a recenteredness around humility. Charles Dickens, as he was being raised, he saw the atrocities of the individual or the industrial revolution and the effect it had on the working class and also the, the working class within the children. They were putting children to work and labor during this time. Yet this man was also drawn to hope. He was drawn to a better future. He would sit back and say, this is wrong. This is not good. This is evil. There must be someone that says, no, we can do something different about this. So he wrote a story that has changed the landscape of Christmas stories. Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol in 1844 and published his work December 19th. And on December 24th, it sold out. It's of a man, right? Ebenezer Scrooge, who was a hoarder of money, of possessions. You thought it was all about him. He didn't really care about people in his life, family in his life, workers in his life. He was a wretched man. He was a cruel man. He was a mean man. And he encountered three different visions or dreams in the movie. If you uh, have seen it in the very beginning, you know, it just kind of shows the depiction of like this humbug attitude, right? Just like always upset and angry and bothered and he was really cruel to his employee. And so as he goes home again in this massive mansion with all these different rooms in it, he, founds, he finds himself, like, visited by, and I'm, I, sometimes I'm like, I can't believe my mom let me watch this stuff. I mean, sometimes, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, it's kind of, like, eerie and scary, you know. But I understood that she, she loved it so much because, again, it's a story around Christmas, and there's a story beneath it that Charles Dickens wanted to express to his readers. And so he's visited by um, his old partner, Barley, and He's like upset with him and he's telling him like, man, you, you're a wretched man and you're all about money and so you have a choice to make and so you're going to be visited by three different kind of visions of the past, of the present, of the future. And what happens in all of it is he's humbled. He, has, he finds himself humbled in all of it because it's terrifying 
And I was thinking, you know, what, what could the title be as we talk about Christmas and the joy of it and the life of it? And that Jesus, obviously, he came as a humble man, as, as a humble boy. And I was thinking, you know, I want to talk with the title, yes, of humility, though that's what we're after, but more about Christmas present and Christmas future. You know, the scripture says in the book of Titus that when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, the transformation of and through the Holy Spirit, whom he, Jesus, poured out on us generously. God poured out on us generously. Isn't it interesting for those that really don't believe in God, this season is a season of generosity, where you plan to go to Target or Walmart or Wherever you go, you know, the store, the mall, and the craziness and the busyness, and really, it's with a good heart, but it's, it's to see others around during the time of Christmas morning or Christmas Eve to see those have a gift and a present. It, there's this moment within all of us of generosity. Even if you believe in God or not, there's this echo of we are to be a people that gives to others. There's something that happens to us when we give. You see, it's clear through the scriptures that when Jesus came, when he appeared to us, when he was born, the mission of God was always this main thing, to save and seek the lost. I want to be really clear with you this morning. The reason Jesus came was to save you. He came so that he would set you free, so that you would have the chains broken so that you would have the keys of freedom to say you are saved that's why he came that's why he appeared to us not because of anything we could do but because of love and so he came so that we could be renewed so that our life would be transformed from the inside out that's why Christ came that's why he was born that's why he walked amongst us and then it says that God poured out on us generosity I love the idea of generosity because when we consider the present Christmas that we live in right now, the question we should ask all ourselves is, are we living or being generous to one another? Right? Like, there's so many things that we can withhold from others. There's so many things that we can call as possession or material. And if we're not careful in this American culture, it can consume you and you could just think it's all about you or your little tribe or people, and yes, that's important, but what about what Christ has done in us? It wasn't just for me, it was for the world. So, do we give to one another in the same way that God gives to us? And I'm not even just talking about money here, let's just put that aside for a moment. I'm talking about giving of ourselves, right? When we, can, when we choose a life of generosity, we take on the way of Jesus. When we choose a life of generosity, we begin, if I could say it like this, to see color for the first time. Something happens to you when, we, when you start to say, it's not about me. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to think of others. I'm going to serve. And that's what I love about Jesus. Unlike any other, quote, God or legend or myth, there was none like Christ who came to die for you and I and who came not to be served, but to serve, to give. 
to be a generous man so that we could learn generosity. You know, when I think of Christmas present, um, as, as daunting as it might seem, well, in the movie, he's taken back to the past, right, to the past. And, and I wonder, you know, have you thought about the past Christmases that you've had? The past, uh, they, it shapes us, it forms us. It's interesting to me that God never rids us of memory. He doesn't take memory away. So we have the moments of the past and, you know, maybe the girl that got away for some of you, maybe it was when you got broken, you got heartbroken, maybe a friend really did you wrong or, or stabbed you in the back or you lost someone. And whatever the story is around Christmas past, it has shaped you. It's molded you to be the person, the man or woman that you are right here, right now. But what if God were to come to you and say, hey, I want to show you this present moment. I want to show you the Christmas present. What would you see? If you were sort of taking bird's eye view and he were to walk with you, and you're in particular moments and how you speak to one another and how you talk to one another, how you treat your spouse or your children, what would you see in you? Would it be the type of person you want to be? Would you exemplify love and peace and joy and generosity? And I don't, I don't know about you, but like for me, this is really convicting. Like in the midst of all the chaos of the season, can we be honest? It's chaotic. With little ones, you know, we got little ones in our house, and it's like crazy chaos sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I just have to, like, step outside and breathe for a second. And I know that I'm not alone in that. <laughs> I know that for the Christmas season, we can forget why we're even doing what we're doing. And what happens is you can, like me, at least, everyone goes to sleep, and I'm sort of that night owl. And so everyone's asleep, and, you know, I can sit down and, clean the house because it's like a mess. I got to clean, clean, clean. And I sit down. I'm like, oh, I can either choose to be incredibly grateful right now or filled with gratitude. Thank you, God, for this season. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my children. And I wonder what you do in those moments. I wonder what your song is or what if God could show you the present Christmas, how you are living, how you're doing right now. What type of person are you this Christmas? And how are you perceived by others? So in, in the movie, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty um, depressing moment. where, In the present time, they're, you know, having fun and they're around, you know, having the gifts being open and, and, and playing games. And, of course, Ebenezer's not there. Scrooge isn't there. And his nephew's there. And they're talking about his uncle, the nephew's uncle. And he's like, yeah, I don't really know him. And they all say really bad things about him. And then the conclusion, he's like, yeah, he's just a lonely man. You see, I don't want that to be for you. I don't want that to be for me. We can have loneliness if we just continue to treat people like they don't matter. If we're rude or disrespectful, if we don't show love, if we're not generous, if we're not grateful for the people that we have in our life, we can end up being really lonely. So can you pause long enough to think through that? If God were to show you you now from his perspective, what would he show you? What would you see? What beauty would he show you? Would there be beauty in the midst of all the things that are going on? What conversations would be held? So I wonder if that could be said of us, either the good or the bad. 
Like, what do people say about you when you're not in the room? Sure, it's probably very much so gossip when that happens. But is it good things or bad things? <laughs> is it, oh, this person, no, and they're filled with joy. They're so happy all the time. Man, they bring wonder out of me. They encourage me. Or, no, they're just always mad and upset, and they got a really bad attitude, and they're so greedy, and they just kind of always just think about themselves. Like, what would God show you if he were to show you what others perceive of you? And I don't know about you. I just, I don't want to be known for that person. And so I got work to do then. I want to be a person that's non-anxious. In an anxious world, there's a lot of work to, to be done in that. The scripture says in Matthew, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward is that for you? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't the pagans even do that? It's easy to, oh, even, even this is not easy sometimes to love family, right? How much more for someone that's not your family that really frustrates you and bothers you? Jesus says, how are you around them? Are you the type of person that shows love and compassion? And then in the book of Romans, it says, let no debt remain outstanding among anyone around you. That's a big word for us. Don't let any debt remain outstanding. Outstanding. Except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law and the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Are you a person known by love this Christmas? Or, or not? <laughs> and... It could create sort of a sense of awareness on who you are and who you're becoming. So this Christmas present, what is God showing you? What are you doing? Who are, who are you becoming? What are you embodying with those around you? So, you know, there's this, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wonder what God would say. Well, here's, here's the prideful Sam. Let me show you. Look, look, at, look, at, this, look at this guy, Sam. <laughs> how he's mean and how he's unkind. How, look, look what others think of him or, or feel of him when he speaks down to them like that. Look at what it did to them, how it made them feel. And, you know, then there could be the humble Sam, right? Look at how you made Lenya feel in that moment when you told her she was beautiful and you took time in the chaotic space to sit and be present with your daughter. What are the words that you're, you are speaking to others, and are they life, or is it bringing people down? That's why we have to take a step back and reflect just for a moment. How am I doing with all of this? Am I being the type of person Jesus has called me to be, or am I becoming like Ebenezer Scrooge, ungrateful, all about me or I? And my favorite is to think about the Christmas yet to come. In the movie, there's like, it's really kind of scary. It's like this grim reaper guy. <laughs> and 
there's like this eerie noise every time he would like lift his hand and it's like a skeleton's hand. And it was reminding Ebenezer that death is right around the corner. I know it's Christmas Eve, I'm sorry, but how could we be grateful for something if we don't realize the magnitude of what we have? And so for all of us, like you might not, this is kind of daunting, but you might not ever have this Christmas with particular people. This might be the last Christmas. This might be the last Christmas that you have with your loved ones in this space with your children at that age. This for sure is the last Christmas that that will happen. And I always have this joke that, you know, me and my brothers and family kind of talk about sometimes. And it's really depressing, I know. But it's always like, you know, Christmas will kind of come to a close or a birthday will come to the end of the night. And I'm like, well, it's all done. (laughs) It's all over. (laughs) And it's kind of a joke. But to me, I'm trying to remind myself that life goes by fast. These moments I will never be able to have again. So then all I have are the memories. All I have then is the moment. So why wouldn't I take advantage of what God has given me here and now, right now? And in the story of Christmas, if you don't think through that consciously, you will move too fast and you will become a bitter person. And I don't want that for you. You know, in in the movie it says, here lies Ebenezer Scrooge, or, or here lies Sam Flores, born 1993, deceased, whatever day that is. And I often think about this. I know I dream of the future, but I also think of these moments. What would people say at my funeral? What would people say at yours? What would the eulogy be of your life? What would be the markers? It wasn't about how much money you made or the cars that you had or the house that you had or the space, the the possessions and materials. Your children and family would not care about any of those things. What would be the characteristics that are spoken about you in the future? And the thing that I love about the Bible and the scriptures is that it forces us to think eternal. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on what is momentary. There's importance there. There's presence there. But on what is unseen, that's what we fixate our eyes on. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. And so for me, I, every chance I get, I'm just a dreamer. I'm always thinking, in my life, what has God called me to do? In your life, what has he called you to do? And when you get to the end of your life, what would you say or others would say you actually did? Did you bring a sense of hope and joy and love and peace? Did you move someone from space To realize that there is not just this momentary space, but there's eternity. That there is another space yet to come, another dimension, another kingdom. And it just makes me sit back and pause. And, you know, I said this earlier, and I just want to say it again, just to remind all of us of why Jesus came and that the government was on his shoulders. I know 2024 is right around the corner. Lord, help us. It's the year of politics and all this stuff again and the comments. And, you know, I, I just, I will call you out if you're that guy going in the comments doing, saying this or that. Because it's so frustrating to me that we as disciples of Jesus, for me, for, for this community, you will never find me promoting a politician in this pulpit. 
because this is the kingdom of heaven. I was taught under my teachers that every time this Bible is open and spoken, the kingdom of heaven is there in that moment. How dare I speak of a government here instead of the kingdom of heaven? And so that is the call of Jesus in our life. You think anyone's going to care what the president was when you die? <laughs> no, they're going to say, what, what did you contribute to the world you lived in? And so I just don't want to be preoccupied about the things that are temporary. What about the things that are eternal? And so that should be the call to every human being that follows Jesus, that loves God with every fiber of their being. What future are you creating? It's not sacrilegious to say God has given you the ability to create. Did you know that? You were created by a creative God. Go and subdue the earth. Go and fill it. Go and create. Go and build. What future then are you building? So in the Christmas yet to come, what will those Christmases look like? You get to build it. You get to create it. And you know, I say this often, but when I get like really frail and old, and I'm like at my deathbed, right, and I can't really move around much, if I am a person that is grumpy and bitter and resentful and mean and cruel, if I'm like Ebenezer Scrooge, then I probably didn't follow the Jesus of the scriptures. Because when you are transformed by God on the inside out, the result is a person of love. I mean, you, you, you do your own biblical due diligence and look at the type of person Jesus was. He was a man of love. He welcomed those that were far from God because he had his eyes on eternity, not on momentary possessions or things. So Jesus' arrival was all a spark of a better future. It was to many a new wave of hope and a new wave of freedom. To us, the same is true. His arrival was a movement of the kingdom of heaven. Imagine on this Christmas Eve, if like Ebenezer, you, visited, you were visited by God and he showed you the past, the present, and the future. What would he show you? And it's, it's kind of scary because in the, in, the, in the novel from Charles Dickens, what he's trying to express or portray to the readers is that this man, because of how he lived his life, ended up being incredibly lonely and depressed and broken. In fact, there was a, a moment in the scene where he's taken, because he had no inheritance for anyone in his family, it was all for himself. And so people were pawning off the things in his house. He's like, hey, that's my bed frame, and that, those are pictures in my house, and well, that's my watch. You see, nothing matters when we die here on earth. You can't take that with you to heaven or eternity. You can only take who you are. So the moments, the memories, the experiences, the love, the power that God has transformed me and you in, that is what we get to continue to walk in, in eternity. So your call and my call is not to be that guy or that girl. Don't be that person that just views everything for themselves. I don't want to be bitter and mean when I'm old. I want to have a life that is lived with beauty and filled with joy and that I can see my family or, or children or grandchildren around me and that I would be a person of love to them. You see, all of this Jesus showed us to learn how to be humbled. When you watch the story and you think of your own life, one of the main things 
if you want freedom, true freedom and transformation, I'm convinced that the way that you walk in your freedom is to first be humbled. Convinced of it. Either God will humble you or you can choose to be humble. Either way, it will happen, friend. You get to choose what you do with that moment. And the more that we are humble, the more that we are meek, the more that we serve, the more that we are grateful, the more that we show love, the more that we're not bitter and we're, we're a non-anxious presence and give peace and joy and love to one That Those are the things that embody the way that Christ calls us into freedom of the future. So Philippians says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of, to the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used as his own advantage. Rather, here it is. He made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself. That's what God did. That actually is the way that we are supposed to live our life. is to become humble and grateful, to be thankful. You know, at, um, at the end, there's this moment where he's terrified by, like, death. And there's this gripping moment where he realizes he has no one in his life. And he's like sort of upset and he's like trying to push down like this, this vision. He's trying to subdue it. He's trying to get rid of it. And because he thinks he's living this reality, he's not quite sure what's going on. And so the clock strikes and he wakes up. And there's this moment of great gratitude. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm alive. I, I, I'm not dead. I still have breath in my lungs. Oh, it's, it's Christmas morning. And all of a sudden, He's shifted into a heart posture of gratitude, of thankfulness. And so from that moment on, like everything changes in the story. And what Charles Dickens does is so powerful because it resonates with every human being. Don't be prideful. Don't be like Scrooge. But yet take on the posture of humility. You know, um, years ago, when I was in Bible school, I would go to the church just right across the street, and there was just one Sunday I was there, and I was just in my own transformation. I was walking this out, processing, you know, who am I going to marry one day? I was thinking of all those things. I, I'm like, you know, 19 years old, trying to figure out what God has called me to and how to take on the posture of Jesus, and I'll never forget this moment. I was worshiping, and for, mo for a while, I cared so much what other people would think when I would worship. You know, when we sing the songs, and people are just kind of, oh, well, I was that guy. I would just kind of sit back, and there was this older man next to me, pretty old. And he, he didn't care about the posture of his worship. It was like full on, arms stretched out, tears coming down his face. And I started noticing every time I'd come to church, he would worship like that. 
And as I've experienced just a little bit of life, because you see, in my young years, I couldn't understand or comprehend why he worshiped like that. I've realized that the longer and the more that I've walked with Jesus, when I do go through a down season, because you will, by the way, when the trial and tribulation comes, when the heartache comes, when the doctor's note comes, when something bad happens in your life, where do you go? And so there's been moments in my life where I go to God and I say, God, I can't figure this out. I'm in the valley. And what happens deep within me is he shapes me. He molds me. Watch this. He humbles me. So then when I have an opportunity to worship my God and my king, I don't care what anyone thinks in the room because I have a song deep within me that says he is good. He is God. He is hope. He is my king. He is my savior. He is God almighty. He has come for you and I to set the captives free so that I can walk in freedom, so that I can dream and actually comprehend. No, you can do something great, God, in my life. Not for me, but for others. Tr truly, I say this with all love. If you were to close your eyes and dream, and we could see the dream above your head, the visions. And if it was all about you, get a different dream. You'll probably end up like Ebenezer Scrooge. But if you dream and it's to serve, and it's to expand the kingdom of heaven, and it's to do great and mighty things, and it's to bring hope, and it's to bring, if it's to bring peace, I'm convinced that is the call of God to, to build a life of hope. Not about you, not about me, but about his kingdom. So, for you and for I, uh, what does it mean to be humbled? I pray that you have a different sense of what Christmas looks like today. You won't get Christmas present ever again. Like, isn't that kind of depressing? I'm sorry. I know it's Christmas morning. But think about it, man. Life is here one day and it's gone the next. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he's like, man, it's just, life is like missed. It's here one day and it's gone. So why wouldn't I capitalize and take in all of the life that God has given me and create moments of experience, not for my intent or good, but for God's. Because that's where the sauce is. That's where the power is. That's where the life is. So in your time of Christmas celebration with your family and friends, remember the gratitude. Re-examine your heart. Oh, thank you, God, for my family. Thank you, God, for my children. Thank you for my health. Thank you that I've had another year. There's a lot of things I could be ungrateful for, God, but I will choose to say, oh, you're good. I have what I have not because of me, but because of you, God. Thank you for this Christmas. That should be the, the posture of our hearts. Will you stand with me as we come to a close? Could we sing this song with uh, just a sense of, of gratitude that, uh, man, I just, I love the Christmas season so much. There's joy in it, friend. I don't want to be that guy that believes in God that's just never happy. 
or never has a smile on his face. No, there is so much to be grateful for. So God, thank you for every person in this room. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to us. Thank you, Father, for hope, for life, for, jo for joy, for peace. Thank you that you've humbled us, God. And, and if we dare pray, maybe we need to be humbled more so that we can experience the gratitude of what we have today. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. Thank you for this moment, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.